0: of crime. A true crime podcast exploring New York's most disturbing criminal cases. I'm Brenna. And I'm Peter.
1: And welcome to episode 10. We have made it to double digits.
0: So yeah, we hit double digits. And I guess that kind of means something. What's what's the 10 year anniversary? What do you get married couples for their ten year. Do you remember?
1: Probably paper or wood.
0: Paper or wood.
1: It's something stupid. Something to look stupid? it up. Stupid, yeah. Tin.
0: Tin. Okay, so, <laughs> so you you guys better buy us something made of tin because ten episodes is, is like ten it's years. It's worth tin. Yeah, it's worth tin. It's worth it's
1: weight in tin. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so before we get started today, um, well, this is not a New York thing, but I feel it's important to mention um, that there was a pretty horrifying shooting that occurred in Atlanta, Georgia, earlier this week. It targeted Asian women, um, and this is in this is in the context of a one hundred and fifty percent rise in hate crimes against Asian people of Asian descent um, in the United States during 2020, and the same year that hate crimes against all other groups dropped. And this particularly spiked in cities like New York, um, given the context of the rhetoric blaming China and Asian people for bringing and spreading COVID to the United States, which is not how it got here. Um, So that was obviously the start of some of these hate crimes. And then this particular event that just happened uh, also has a lot of overlap with anti, with misogynistic violence against women and blaming women for their sexuality. So it's a complex story, but I just wanted to bring it up.
0: Yeah, we've been seeing a uh, shocking increase in hate crimes against Asian Americans, but it, it has actually mostly been Asian American women here mm-hmm. uh, that have been attacked oh. and uh, you know, with the, the former president saying stuff like Wu flu and it came from China uh, it really didn't help that and you know, of course the one thing that that fucking idiot did do was energize half the country into this, this frothing seething, somehow even stupider and more racist mass than it usually was. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the effects of that now, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and I did see also that, yeah, women have been targeted and also just the elderly, um, older Asian people, which just is is horrible. I mean, you know, these are people who um, are already vulnerable for other reasons that are being targeted um, in New York, from what I've heard, you know, people getting... Hi Sybil. People getting spat on in the street, uh, screamed at, physically assaulted, verbally assaulted, Um, none of these things are ever okay. So I just wanted to mention that since it's on so many of our minds and it has to do with um, this particularly vulgar sort of crime, which is crime that is motivated by hatred based on somebody's sex or country of origin ethnicity sexuality um gender all of those things so we will um keep you updated from what we learn uh any updates of activism going on in new york around these issues um as we hear it
0: uh yeah we might we might even do like a themed episode about the uh about the um, Asian American like racist violence stuff mm-hmm. uh, here in in the city because it's just been quite frequent and it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. So look look for that from us in maybe the next week or so.
1: So I think that was the only bit of news that I had. Um, anything else, Peter?
0: Yeah, we are actually going to have a special guest on the podcast really soon. Um, it's a secret right now, but like it's it's in the works, and this is really exciting for us because, uh, you know, we're we're new to this, and we love to connect with others who are doing what what we love, and so we're we're going to be having this uh, as to yet to be named guest on the show to talk about uh, a really interesting case that they actually have some personal knowledge of and uh, that'll be exciting but that's that's coming in a couple weeks don't don't hold your breath on that we're we're putting it together
1: we'll keep you updated yeah so with that i'll (coughs) take you to our story today um this is a new york city tale so we're back back home this week this is the story of the disappearance of akila lynn hodrick so our story starts on a hot summer day at the end of the summer of 1985 in the Kingsbridge Heights area of the Bronx. Do you know where that is?
0: Yeah, that's um, that's south of uh, the reservoir, I think, uh, by Lehman and uh, Fordham, right?
1: Exactly. So it's, um, it's kind of this nice little area now, I would say. Um, I've been up there a lot for work and such. It's you know, in between the part of the Bronx that abuts the northern tip of Manhattan, and then um, the Bronx Zoo and the botanical gardens on the other side, and it's kind of like wedged in the middle of that area. Um, and yeah, there's like so there's two large schools, uh, colleges, and, and you know, just there's stuff going on. So again, we're in 1985, so it wasn't quite the same area as it is today. Um, what do you know about what the Bronx was like in the 1980s?
0: The Bronx in the 80s uh well it was mostly on fire the whole time right or was that a, is that was a, little a little earlier earlier
1: but it was still recovering from being on fire certainly right. yeah so again this is the summer of 1985 we're in Kingsbridge Heights in the Bronx on August 12th Eight year old Akilah Lynn Hodrick was sitting on the stoop outside her home on Briggs Avenue with her mom. Her name was Tarona but they all called her Terry and Terry was eight months pregnant at the time. Now the Bronx like, the, like we said was not the safest borough at this time but it was also this area very much was full of young families with kids like the Hodrick's. Akilah was said to be a very smart girl mature and responsible and she was close with her mom Terry. Who called Akilah her baby she tucked her in every night and sang her a lullaby so they had a very close relationship so Akila, who was exactly one week away from her ninth birthday was sitting and keeping her mom company that evening it was around six thirty, which in late summer is late enough to almost be dinner time but still be bright outside and soon her mom started chatting with some passing friends and neighbors and Aquila got bored of all this grown-up talk She perked up when she heard the literal call of heaven
0: oh, the ice cream truck yeah. the
1: ice cream truck
0: mm-hmm.
1: So she hear's <laughs> the ice cream truck which will send any kid running she heard heard and saw this Mr. Softy truck. Going down Briggs Avenue, Akilah quickly asked her mom for some money to get some ice cream, but Terry said no. Akila did not like this answer and ran anyway to catch the truck, which had stopped around the corner. Terry saw Akilah running down Briggs Avenue and then turned left onto the corner of East 194th Street. Terry wanted to run after her daughter, but being eight months pregnant, she was... But Terry was also not too worried. Akilah knew the neighborhood well, and this wasn't too far. She trusted her daughter to come right back. But Akilah did not come right back. Mm. A little while later, Terry began asking friends and family around if they'd seen Akilah. And Akilah's cousin replied that she had just seen her playing games at a local arcade. So this was promising, but by then it was dinner time and Akilah should have returned by now. She would have known her mom would be worried and Terry was not going to wait any longer. So she called the police to report her daughter missing. She described Akilah as four foot 11 and about 80 pounds with hazel eyes and a head of curly brown hair. She wore glasses and had a gap between her two front teeth and she was last seen wearing a white tank top, blue shorts, and light blue sneakers. Amazingly, the NYPD responded immediately to this, given Aquila's age, and they believe she was likely abducted. They started their search at the Mr. Softy truck, but that ice cream man did not recall ever seeing Aquila. But again, I mean, how many little kids do you see as an ice cream man on a hot August day?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that him not saying he saw her really meant anything. Yeah. I mean, like, you don't think, like, a bunch of girls of the same age might look right. really similar.
1: Right, right. Um, and the police were also unable to confirm her cousin's sighting of Aquila, at the video arcade. No one else spotted her there, and they weren't sure if the cousin was just trying to help and reassure the mom, or if she actually did see her. There was no way to corroborate this. It seemed as if nobody had seen Aquila since the moment she sprinted towards that ice cream truck. And so a massive ground search began. They brought out everything. Helicopters, scent dogs, and people on foot circled the Bronx searching for signs of aquila The NYPD set up headquarters at the Hodrick's home and continued their search for two full weeks. Now leading this charge was Detective Frankie McDonald, hmm. who, you know amazingly, is the hero of this story. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and his partner at the time was John Boris. But McDonald really took an interest in this case. He had been a cop for 18 years. He had never once fired his weapon. Oh, good job. Right? If we had a few more of those, we'd be in better shape in the NYPD. Um, and Akilah's mom, Terry, found Detective McDonald very comforting. She said, quote, He was the nicest man. My family and I loved him. He did everything he could. A few days later, after Akilah had disappeared, a scent dog finally traced her smell to the Webster Avenue Metro North train tracks.
0: Mm, uh-oh.
1: So if you want to look at a map of the case so far, um, this is the intersection of Briggs Avenue and 194th Street right here. So that's where she went running to get went missing. Um, she probably lived just, just on another bit strip of Briggs Avenue. And then if you look over here towards Fordham University, uh, down 184th street. That'll bring you right to the train tracks right here.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So it's not too far. And that's the Fordham Metro North station right there.
0: Uh, so that's like four-ish, five and these blocks. Are, yeah. Maybe I total. mean,
1: those are long blocks, but yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. But yeah. it's not, that's not that far. Yeah.
1: No, if you were walking, I mean, we can literally map it. Okay. Yeah. So it's a seven minute walk. It's not far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So a few days after Aquila's disappearance, a scent dog finally traced her smell to Webster Avenue at the Metro North train tracks, and we'll put up a map as well to show how really close this is. So if she turned onto East 194th Street to follow the ice cream truck at this corner, it was just another five to seven minute walk uh, to get to this area of Webster Avenue that abuts the, the train tracks. Um... And it's just off of the main Fordham Road stop of Metro North, which is a pretty busy stop.
0: Yeah, that's um, less than half a mile Mm -hmm. from where she was last seen.
1: Yeah. So at this uh, train track area where they traced her smell to, there was a large hole in the fence leading into the train tracks. And that's where the search ended. But detectives learned that this hole in the fence was actually an entrance to a small homeless encampment that was uh, within the train tracks, kind of near a tunnel. So Detective McDonald wanted to search there, hoping maybe a person living there may have seen Aquila or seen something that could lead to her. Unfortunately, they needed permission from Metro North to search these tracks. And in order to do so, they would have to stop the trains. A Metro North representative told them this would be impossible. Do you know how many people you want to inconvenience? They asked Detective McDonald, who was obviously angry at this response. And he continued to press them. He said, this is an urgent police matter and we're searching for a missing eight-year-old girl. We need your cooperation. And the man they had originally spoke to said, sorry, there's nothing I can do. So they really did not want to stop these trains. But Detective McDonald was not satisfied with that answer. He continued to press for help from Metro North. They went to a supervisor, then the supervisor's supervisor, and finally pushed their way all the way to the vice president of Metro North. Finally, he understood at least some of the importance of this search, and the vice president said while they still could not stop the trains, they could slow them down to 30 miles an hour in that area, which would make it safe for the police to search. So Detective McDonald and Boris searched along with a handful of uniformed cops interviewing the homeless people that were staying in this tunnel. Unfortunately, that search led to nothing besides some angry commuters who had been on these delayed trains. Detective McDonald went back to the 52nd precinct to set up a hotline and check for more tips or sightings, but soon a TV crew burst into the precinct questioning Detective McDonald's decision to delay the trains. When they questioned him about this and why he did it, he said, we made a decision to search for a missing child. But the reporter kept pressing him about what was the reason they had to slow down the trains and why were you doing this? McDonald jumped in and asked, what's your story here? That an eight-year-old girl is missing or that a few assholes from Westchester came home to a cold dinner? I don't have anything more to say to you. Boom. Mic drop. (laughs) Mic drop, Detective McDonald. So Aquila's disappearance is often compared to the famous disappearance of six-year-old Aton Pates in lower Manhattan. And this occurred a few years earlier in 1979. Um, and this was solved recently. Do you know this case?
0: I remember hearing that it was solved, yeah.
1: Yeah, this is probably the most famous missing child from New York City ever, ever. Um, and so the similarities between the cases... Um, made it ripe for comparison both Akila and Aton were around the same age and disappeared without a trace close to their home but in Eitan's case over a hundred detectives worked it along with a dedicated task force for years for Akila, detectives Boris and McDonald worked the case alone the press also failed to give adequate coverage to Aquila's case. A few articles in the New York area papers covered the basics of the story in the first few weeks after her disappearance, but otherwise there was almost nothing. Detective McDonald said, The media gave this case no play. It only got press when we slowed down the trains. Very different from Aton Pates. A missing black girl from the Bronx was not considered newsworthy.
0: Sad but true.
1: Yeah, and you know, to this day, I mean, this Same is shirt. an epidemic of um, the way in which missing people are treated based on their race, ethnicity, gender, age, where they're from, even the class status. I mean, the amount of attention it gets from the press. We see this again and again. We really famous cases of white girls who go missing, and it's the biggest story ever. Um, and so one of the sources, I, I just will bring this up now because it's relevant. One of the sources I used in this case is called ourblackgirls.com and it helps to bring attention to um, cases of missing black girls and women um, that have not gotten as much attention as other cases. So I thought that was an important thing to do. They have um, cases of both missing and murdered um, black girls and women. So, about a month after Akilah's disappearance, her mom, Terry, gave birth to a baby boy who would never meet his older sister. And Terry actually named this baby uh, after Detective McDonald. Oh. It wasn't clear if they used his first name. I assume that they named him Frankie, which was Detective McDonald's first name. Right. Um, uh, but I didn't read exactly the name of the child, but she said she named her son after Detective McDonald. And... This is so soon after Aquila's disappearance that Terry had been struggling a lot with this new baby. She kept thinking about Aquila and dreaming that she would return, but she struggled to cope and she began to hide photos and items of Aquila's in her home so that she wouldn't have to think about it all the time.
0: Oh, well, that's sad, but yeah. That's um that's normal behavior. Yeah, I know. For grieving. It's, so it's
1: especially, I mean, imagine you're 8 months pregnant your daughter who you're extremely close to just goes missing without a trace and then you have to give birth to and love and care for this new baby while you're just missing your other one so badly like just the the irony of all of those feelings mu- and like the the conflict between those feelings must be like impossible yeah so, a few months after this, a block party took place on East 194th Street, and Detective McDonald stopped by to keep the neighborhood's attention on Akilah's case. As he was leaving and walking back to his car, he passed by an old woman who was digging through the garbage can. She yelled to Detective McDonald, You're never going to find that little girl alive. She's buried up in Yonkers.
0: What the fuck?
1: Yeah. At first, he ignored this, figuring this woman was talking nonsense. But then Detective McDonald remembered that Terry Hodrick had dated a man from Yonkers. Mm-hmm. On the day Keely disappeared, this boyfriend had been spotted running shirtless on Ho Avenue. Now I found this in multiple. Ho Avenue. I know I found this in multiple <laughs> sources, where it says on Ho Avenue, which was a few blocks from their home. But Ho Avenue is not a few blocks from their home, so I'm actually not sure what the relevance of this is. Like Ho Avenue is actually like way over. I think it's like near Morsenia.
0: Oh. Yeah. That's pretty far. There is
1: a Poe place.
0: Could it be a typo? <laughs> it
1: could be, but it's not Avenue because this is near Edgar Allan Poe's um, cottage, actually, right, right. near the, where they live. Yeah. Um. So it could have been Poe, but there is no Ho Avenue near their home, so I'm not even sure what the relevance I of... I mean,
0: Poe seems close. It is a street. It a is a street. A few blocks away could be that, but... Who who knows really
1: yeah so i just noticed that um he was later seen in a red car with another man who was his roommate from yonkers so the fact is i mean he's from yonkers um i don't believe he was currently dating terry at this time it's not clear if he was the father of this baby um you know it didn't seem like she was currently dating anyone at the time that akila disappeared so this was a an ex-fling, but he did live in Yonkers and he was seen in the Bronx that day with his roommate. Detective McDonald interrogated this boyfriend many times and he really believed for a while that he had to be the person that took Akilah. You know, someone close to her who maybe she would trust and go with. You know, if you need to get back up to Yonkers, you know, maybe hopping a train would make a lot of sense. I don't know, but you know, he was leaving or she, she could have been taken out of the Bronx, and that would also indicate why her scent ended at the train tracks. If they hopped on a train, I don't think the dogs would be able to follow that scent moving so fast.
0: Right. No, probably not.
1: So Detective McDonald thought this was his, his guy, you know, especially with that comment that she was buried in Yonkers from this homeless woman. And so during one interrogation, he thought he was close to getting the boyfriend to break down and, and tell him something. So the boyfriend began to cry, and Detective McDonald thought he was finally going to confess. But the boyfriend just looked up and said, I didn't do anything. And that was the end of that lead. They could never find anything. The boyfriend never confessed anything. Um, There was no physical evidence in this case, so it ended there. Akilah's disappearance was covered by a TV special in 1986. And this is called Missing. Have you seen this person? This is the early iteration of the Unsolved Mysteries series. Um, it right, was right. produced by the same people. And this helped bring renewed attention to Aquila's case. New tips did come in, and Detective McDonald explored them all, keeping Terry Hodrick updated at least once a week throughout the investigation. But nothing new moved in the case. By now, McDonald figured that Akilah was likely dead. McDonald retired from the NYPD in 1987, saying his inability to solve Aquila's case is the biggest disappointment of his law enforcement career. By the time he retired, he looked at the folder for Aquila's case one last time, and it was 25 pounds. Holy shit! Yeah. Terry Hodrick, Aquila's mom, was interviewed again in 2001. When they had been doing, um, you know, every few years, um, they did updated age progression photos, and she was interviewed when one of those was released. In 2001, she gave this interview, and if Akila was still alive at that point, she would have been 25 years old. Terry said, quote, I still be praying that she'll come home. I know in my heart that she is alive because I can feel her. You know how it is with a mother and her child. You can feel them. She's out there. I know she's not underground. Not my baby end quote. And a few age progression photos, as I mentioned, uh, have been made of aquila over the years to show what she might look like today. This was her last school photo before she disappeared. It's just really cute. And then they did an age progression photo. Uh, this, I think, was the one from 2001. She would have been about 25. And this is the most recent one. Uh, she would be in her 40s today if she's still alive.
0: Hello.
1: So besides that boyfriend from Yonkers. There are no solid leads or suspects in this case, and there never have been any named suspects or persons of interest by the detectives. Uh, After Detective McDonald retired, it was handed over to other detectives to continue to investigate, uh, and it was reopened a few years ago by the New York City Police Department's Cold Case Division. Um, they are technically still looking into this case as a cold case. Um, but I really don't know what they're gonna find. I mean, unless she turns up alive or unless somebody admits to killing her and points us to where she's buried, I don't know how we're gonna find her.
0: Yeah, this one seems uh, seems a little bit a little bit far gone maybe.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah, and I mean, again, 1985, uh, we've talked about this in cases um, from the 70s and such, but this was an era in which there were a lot of predators that were not being caught because we were not regularly testing DNA. If this was somebody who targeted her as a young girl for the purposes of um, pedophilia and their own sexual perversion... um, that they could have easily just grabbed her either in a car or on the train tracks and gone on a train and taken her somewhere else. Um, and she could have been kept or she could have been killed immediately. Um, I don't know. It's just there, there's there's so many iterations of how this could happen, but the NYPD do believe this was a non-familial abduction that she was taken by. Uh, likely a complete stranger or someone who knew her tangentially there is also no information about her biological father but I assume that they did look into this because that is usually where you'd go first Um, it's not it's it seems that he was not in the picture at all in her life um, but I assume they at least know who he is and don't have a reason to suspect him because it did not come up in the investigation or in the reports of the investigation that I read Um, so that's most of that of Akilah Lynn Hodrick's story. And I just, this one was very close to home, being in the Bronx um, near where we live and where some of my family is from and where I have worked and been around. And just the image of uh, Akilah running down the street after the ice cream truck is uh, a very sad and poignant one.
0: Yeah. what What gets me about this one is that the scent tracking dogs led to the hole in the fence Mm -hmm. um yeah that's that's sticking with me because Mm -hmm. why would the dogs why would the dogs say she was there if she wasn't there right and it i mean it it, why would a familiar person who could just buy a train ticket sneak into the fence That's not how you board a train and would be a high-risk behavior in a, uh, you know, a a rather low-risk abduction scenario. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, it's probably not anyone that knew her. It could have been a homeless person or it could have been uh, maybe a serial killer Mm -hmm. that we either know or don't know, and they just happened to have that spot, like, mapped out. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they just knew where homeless people liked to be and sort of used it as some kind of cover. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that has been done before.
1: Yeah, you make a good point about the hole in the fence because, like we pointed out, the entrance to the Fordham Road station was just, you know, a block or two away. It wasn't farther to walk, so they seemed to deliberately... Go through this hole in the fence to enter the train yard um from this sort of unsanctioned side and it is interesting that the dogs did not hit on that scent until a few days later which leads to the possibility i mean it's possible they just didn't search there right away but it did say they started searching right away and if they didn't hit on it till a few days later it is possible that she was kept somewhere very nearby and then taken not immediately do you know what i mean yeah um when someone realized that this person was going to be looked for because in some ways you might think well no one's going to be looking for her like right. the person who took her might think oh well no one's going to be looking for her she's just this little little girl in the bronx who cares right uh, unfortunately so then when he realized how much attention the case was getting he could have use that closeness of the train to get out of town. Yeah, the possibilities are endless. Um I do really hope that we get some resolution on this case just to know what happened to her. Um, it's just horrible not just not to know um, and to not have answers. So again the sources I use for this case are mainly from the Charlie Project website which has the facts on this case. ourblackgirls.com, which I mentioned earlier. And the Reddit user, Ramen Alien did a great little write-up of this case, which is based on a book written by Detective Frankie McDonald's uh, brother, oh. who wrote about Frankie's career and life as an NYPD detective for 20 years and um, heavily touches on you know his involvement in this case and that's why we get so many details of Detective McDonald's um, side and experience in this case. So thank you, Ramen Alien. <laughs> and uh thank you all for listening
0: as usual uh send us an email if you have anything at all to say
1: new york state of crime at gmail.com
0: and you can find us on instagram
1: new york state of crime
0: at instagram um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what what else do we have to say?
1: We can go to our website. Oh, yeah,
0: our website.
1: New York State of Crime dot com.
0: Yes. And uh, just to make sure everyone knows, help us game the algorithm by leaving a review and subscribing and downloading and mm-hmm. rating and uh, use multiple... Uh, iTunes accounts to subscribe to the podcast Here. so we get more subscribers.
1: Okay. What well you... <laughs> the
0: algorithm is to keep the small podcast down. We mm, are the small okay. podcast.
1: We'll post the photos from this case um, including the age progression photos of Akilah Lynn Hodrick and I'd love to hear from you all what you think may have happened to her um, and where the NYPD should look in their investigation to help solve this gold case. So comment and like on Instagram to let us know that you're listening and let us know what you think. This is New York State
0: Prime. <laughs> five it?
1: words. This is New York State Prime. <laughs>